Well, several years ago, uh, Jenny and I were selling a car, and nobody we knew needed a car at that time. Not one that was stick shift anyway, which is what this one was. So we knew we would be selling it to somebody uh, we didn't know. We knew we would be selling it to a stranger. Now, I didn't want to take a check from somebody I didn't know. It just didn't seem prudent to me. Um, I, 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 I can tend to lean that way sometimes. And so um, I went to the office supply store, and I got one of those uh, marking pens uh, to make sure that I wasn't accepting any counterfeit bills. Now, one of those, those marking pens, uh, they react with, with uh, the wood pulp in in paper, uh, and it leaves a black mark. Now, the money money is printed on uh, not a wood-based paper, but a fiber-based paper, and so it doesn't. When you put the mark on there, it doesn't it doesn't change color. It you know it it stays um, you know whatever the mark is when when you first do it. Um, now, the guy buying the car hands me you know a, a pile of hundred-dollar bills. I wish it were a bigger pile, but at any rate, he handed me this pile of $100 bills, and not being too familiar with $100 bills, they don't come through my hands very often, I, you know, I used this marking pen, and I sat there, and I, I marked each single one um, you know, to make sure it was real. And even if I did handle $100 bills a lot, I mean, what's the purpose of a counterfeit? The purpose of a counterfeit is to look as much like the real thing as possible. You know, so how would I ever, you know, I mean, really, if it was good counterfeit, how would I even know? So I needed the help of a marking pen. Well, I was thinking about this, and I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have a marking pen to test the authenticity of everything? Then I could be an expert on Antiques Roadshow. Oh, you say this is a Tiffany lamp. Let me get out my Tiffany lamp pen and just see if, if, if that's correct, you know. Or, oh, your, your grandpa says that, that, that this belonged to George Washington. Well, let me get out my George Washington pen and make sure, you know, and see if that's what it is. Or just think if we could get a set of liar pens. You know, and your kid says, yeah, they finished all their homework. And all you just take out that pen, put a mark across their forehead, and you'll know right away if they did or not. Or your wife says to you, I only spent $20 on those shoes. Swab her cheek. You know, just give a little mark at it. Or your husband comes in and says, you know, well, I, I, wasn't, I didn't stay and watch the game. You know, I, I wasn't. That's not why I was late. It was traffic. And you could just, you know, swipe across his nose and see if he, you know, if he's telling the truth or not. You know, what a handy, what a handy thing it would be to be able to, you know, to be able to tell counterfeits like that. Well, we, we're into the section in First John that addresses how we can tell real Christians from counterfeit Christians. How we can tell those with a real relationship with Christ to those uh, and those with a counterfeit relationship with Christ, you know whether they're uh, you know whether they're simply looking the part and are counterfeit or whether they're real. Let's pray and we're going to get into the passage. Father, thank you for your word and your truth to us, and we know we can trust you. Now, as we as we look at this, it's really two-pronged thing, not, not just in looking at others, but looking at ourselves as well. Boy, we don't ever want to be a counterfeit. We don't ever want to be counterfeit in what we do for you. So teach us from your word and show us from your heart. Speak to our heart. You know, again, the needs of everyone here. And, and um, I, I don't. I couldn't. And you know what they need to hear. You know what your, from your word will touch them. So I pray that you will use that and continue just in the way you have in the past 
and you will in the future, that even right now in the present, you will touch our hearts from your word and your truth, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3. Turn there, if you will, 7 through 10. For con- I'm going to start reading with verse 1, actually, for context. Um, you know, we covered these verses two weeks ago. So I'm simply going to point out a few things in, in the, um, the first six verses, and then we're going to move on to verses 7 through 10. So 1 John chapter 3, uh, follow along again. We're going to start with verse 1 there. It says, Look at how great a love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. That's a great thing for you to either circle in your Bible or highlight, you know, in, in your, on your phone or however it is you're doing it. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, what I want you to grasp right there is is the fact and the reality that when you have a relationship with Christ, you are God's child right now. It's not something that you're going to be later. It's something that you are right now. That when you when you have that relationship with Christ... You have, you are his child right now. Now, when he appears, when Christ appears, you know, that, that, uh, what, that will be, uh, that relationship for us will be of a higher degree of, of living. It will be a more intense, it will be a face to face, uh, uh, relationship. But he tells us very clearly that this is what we are right now. We are as, we are as much, grasp this. We are as much a child of God right now as we will be when we are in his presence face to face. When we leave this, when we leave this earth and, and we go to be with Christ, we are just as much a child of God right now as we will be then. Again, then there, the, there will be a, a higher degree of intensity as we see him face to face. But the reality of that relationship is, is just as full, just as real right now as it will be when we stand before him face to face. So we need to grasp a hold of that. You know, we're God's children because of what Christ did on the cross. Not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done on the cross. We just celebrated, we just, you know, uh, celebrated communion together, remembering his broken body, his, his shed blood. And it's because of what he has done on the cross, not because of anything we have done. And just as Christ, you know, set himself... He said, you know, he set himself apart in obedience to God. And that now pay attention to what we're saying here that qualified him to achieve the purpose for which he came to be the sacrifice for our sin. The sacrifice for our sin was a sinless sacrifice and his obedience to God as he walked on this earth and he remained sinless. Then you see he so he came and went to the cross as a sinless sacrifice. He was qualified. Why? Because he lived a sinless life here on earth also. And so, you know, and, it's, and, and that's, the, that's the, the comparison for us here. You know, those with a relationship with God as a child of God were to set ourselves apart in obedience to God's will. And again, we covered this more two weeks ago. You can you can listen to it online. Let's pick up verse four. It says, everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Uh, sin is breaking of law. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him 
or known him. Now, two weeks ago, we didn't get into this as much as I would like to, you know, and, and just real briefly, though. Notice what it says here. Sin is breaking of law. Some translations say sin is lawlessness. Some say, you know, practices lawlessness. Uh, what, what, you, what you need to grasp with this is that, that, that what that means is not merely uh, to break the law, but it's to despise, the, the word means to despise the, you know, the, the very idea that there is a law to which one must submit. That's what that word lawless means. That's what it conveys. That there is, that there is a resentment, you know, that there is actually a law that, that we have to submit to. It it's, speaks of having utter contempt for the law. You know, and that originates from an attitude that resents God's moral demands on our lives. That's where the attitude comes from. And that's what he's talking about when he's talking about lawless. You know, that it's that attitude that resents God's moral demands on, on our lives. As I was reading through this again this morning, I was reminded of myself. I told you before, there's some traffic laws I don't like. I think, you know, when I drive down Washington Center and I'm heading from Lima Road west on Washington Center, and it's not too far down, you get to a part where, uh, I think, is it Hills Meat Market? Is that the one that's on Washington Center? Hills Meat Market is there. Good food. So you can tell who goes there. Uh, so Hills Meat Market is there. And what they did is they put in a turning lane. But what they did for the turning lane is they just took the lane that was there and they made that a turning lane. And then if you want to go straight, then you have to move over and go around a little bit. Now, there's no road over here. There's no road at all on your right. When I get there and there's nobody turning, I don't like to have to move over to that little part and, and go around and come back. It's stupid. It's stupid. I'm going to just go straight. Okay, so that's just an example for you. And as I was reading through this this morning, and, and I was reading and I thought, to have utter contempt for the law. God tells me I need to obey our governmental authorities when it doesn't go against his word, and, and in driving it doesn't go against his word. And I thought, Lord, um, I don't resent your moral demands on my life, or do I sometimes when I'm driving? Just a thought for you there. I'm just telling you how God was speaking to me this morning. You see, uh, that sinner's inward attitude of rebellion against God is the essence of sin. That's the essence of sin. You know, the, the very foundation of a relationship with God is a recognition and an acknowledgement that he is the one who defines the standard of right and wrong. It is not open for negotiation. It is not debatable. 
It is recognizing that God is the one who sets that standard and we willingly submit ourselves to his authority in all things. That's the essence of repentance, you see. The essence of repentance is realizing that God is the one who is in control and what he says is, is. And we don't get to set the standard. But what we do is we repent. We turn from our own way and turn to God's way because of our commitment to and submission to him. That's the essence of, of repentance and what he calls us to here when he's talking about, you know, this the sin is, is lawlessness. What we say when we commit to when we commit to Christ and we come to him as a, as a child of his is that we willingly submit ourselves to his authority in all things. You know, the, the, remaining in Christ means, means refraining from a lifestyle of sin. That we refrain from that. There is absolutely no way to justify sin as, uh, as something that is compatible with the relationship with Christ. There is no way you can do that. There is no way that you can justify sin, which is a going against what God says, rebelling against God's authority. There is no way that you can justify going against God's authority as something that is compatible with a relationship with Christ. They're incompatible. And this is what he's telling us here. They're incompatible. Philippians chapter 3, he says, For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. They do what? They live as enemies of the cross of, cross of Christ. Their living shows that they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. What they take glory and what they take pride in is really to their shame because it's showing that they don't have a relationship with Christ. It's showing that they rebel against Christ. It's showing that they want to be independent of Him. It says they are focused on what? Earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. If we have a relationship with Christ, if we are God's child, our citizenship is in heaven. And it says, from which we also eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our living shows that we are an enemy of the cross counterfeit or that we are a child of god real it shows that we are real or we are counterfeit redeemed by christ and now part of his family right now here and now a child of god let's move on verse seven little children let no one deceive you the one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous the one who commits sin is of the devil For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's work. What you see here is a back and forth about God's children, those with a real relationship with God. It says, and the children of the devil, those with a counterfeit relationship with God. And it goes back and forth here. Now remember, he is is talking to people in the church. And he is talking to, and he is talking to people, you know, particularly here to those who are, to those and about those who are leading people astray. He says, let no one deceive you. Don't be led astray from God. Don't be, you know, don't, don't accept ideas. Don't accept theories. Don't accept standards that are contrary to God's word. Don't accept things that are, that are, uh, go against his character. 
Don't accept things that mock his being. These were all things that were going on in, in their church. Those are all things that we get challenged with today. Don't get talked into rationalizations that avoid or subvert the truth which is found in God. Don't get talked into rationalizations that, that subvert God, that sink what God says. Don't get talked into rationalizations that avoid the truth of God. But avoid the truth in our living. Rationalizations are simply you know, a distorting of the truth of God to excuse our own behavior or our own preferences. That's all rationalizations are. We want to excuse our own, we want to excuse our own behavior. We want, we want to excuse our own preferences. We want to make room for the way we want to do things. And so we begin to rationalize. Did God really say? Have you ever heard of that before? The same thing the serpent said to Eve back in the garden. Did God really say? And we begin to ask and we begin to question ourselves, did God really say? Because if we can talk ourselves out of it, if we can convince ourselves that God didn't say it, and we don't really convince ourselves sometimes, what we do is we choose to ignore what God really said. We haven't convinced ourselves. We choose to ignore. Now, one of the problems for us is as we continue to choose to ignore and we continue to choose to ignore and continue to choose to ignore, Scripture tells us we become callous, thick-skinned. And, and the word of God isn't getting, isn't getting through anymore. Why? Because we have rebuffed him so often. We have turned him away so often. We have put up that outer shell so that he can't get through, so that we don't have to feel guilty. You, don't have, you know what? You don't ever have to feel guilty if you obey God. Just a thought for you there. You know, it's just a thought. You, obey, you don't have to feel guilty if you obey God. It's a form of lawlessness, resenting and rebelling against God's authority in your living when you're making rationalizations, when you're making excuses. Now, I will tell you, this goes for, you know, scientific proclamations as well and standards of behavior, you know, and theories about justice, just to name a few areas. The art of deception is to look real. The art of deception is to look authentic. John here is warning them because they had people teaching false ideas. They had people teaching an enlightened way. An enlightened way. You know, some under the guise of religion and enlightenment, some under the banner of knowledge. You know, they had, you know, the Greeks, and they, they, the knowledge was a big deal and a big thing, and it's the same, the same thing we have today. Some were a blending of the two. Now, we have many teachings that are contrary to the word of God under the facade of religion and others under, others under the facade of knowledge or under the facade of science. Now, pay attention because I am not saying we reject science. That would be foolish. We learn a lot from science. Do you, have you ever taken any medicine? Medicine comes as a result of science. But what they have done there... You know, they, they, they've done experiments, they've done, they have begun, you know, and they have seen the way that, of what those things that God has made, how they react to the body and what they do. You know, don't, don't give science, you know, don't give science and so-called knowledge more credence than they deserve because they didn't create anything. They discovered what God had already created. You see, and they discovered how these 
as you say, chemicals, in some cases it is, how these things that God had already created and how the body reacts and responds to those. And through scientific experiments and scientific, you know, uh, uh, unfolding, you ever taken an antibiotic? An antibiotic comes because they did what? They did science and they saw how this, how this uh, element, stuff that God had created affects the, you know, the, the particular bacteria that you are infected with. And so you take some of that particular thing that, that goes against the bacteria that you are infected with, you see. So I, what I'm saying here, you know, I'm not saying that we reject science. But, you know, science, knowledge, and Christianity all look at the same evidence and come to different conclusions. You know, and realize all, all of the positions depend on faith to get to their conclusion. Even science. Even though they would deny it, they don't. You know, some look at the things of nature and a scientist says, isn't nature wonderful? Looking at the same evidence there of nature, the Christian looks and says, isn't God wonderful? You see, don't be deceived. Both statements are a statement of faith. Both statements are a statement of faith. Now, science doesn't like to, you know, those who, who tout the banner of science don't like to admit that. But there's, there's things they cannot prove. They cannot duplicate. What they have done is looked at the same evidence we have, and they have come to the conclusion, well, then this must have happened. Well, to me, they're forgetting, you know, they... It, it, just realize they're both a position of faith. You know, understand that. You know, understand it. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. He goes, he says, the one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does habitually, this is what he's talking about, the one who habitually, naturally, consistently does what is right in God's eyes. In God's eyes. Because the living flows from the being. Your living flows from your being, from who you are. It's easy to put on a facade sometimes. Okay, sometimes it's not. It's hard to put on a facade sometimes. But you see, there's a problem. If you're putting it on, then, then, then it becomes more and more work. You know, who you are, you've heard it before. You know, who you are when no one's looking is who you are. You know, that, that's, that's what matters. That's there's part of the real you. And then, you know, the... the the one who lives in and from a relationship with God and obedience to God is showing that their life has been transformed by their relationship with Christ Jesus. The one who does what is right, their life has been transformed. The one who does what is right is righteous. What's, what are they saying? That his doing of right produced righteousness? No. What they're saying is his doing of right shows it's flowing from the fact that he is righteous just as he is righteous. You know, everyone who lives out their relationship with God shows that their faith is real. Contrasted to that is those who don't have a relationship with God and how they live out. They choose to do their own thing. They choose to please others. They choose the values of society. They are living out their lack of a relationship with Christ. 
You are either living out your relationship with Christ or you're living out your lack of a relationship with Christ. Even though they may claim to have a relationship with Christ, what they're showing is that they're counterfeit. Again, the standard is Jesus Christ. Notice what it says. It says it it is just as he is righteous. There's the standard. The standard is Christ Jesus. It's not something else. It's, it's, it's not, you know, the values of society. It's not what somebody else is doing. It's Christ Jesus. And the one who lives by a, by a, a natural flow from sin in their life, or those who, you know, consistently choose sin as their course of action, it says, is of the devil, not God. They're counterfeit. Their connection is with the devil, not with God. John is very consistent in his viewpoint throughout his letter. In chapter 2, uh, he said, the one, who says, the one who says, I have come to know him, yet does not keep his, his commands, is a liar, is a counterfeit, and the truth is not in him. A little bit later in chapter 2, uh, who is the liar, who is the counterfeit, if, the, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah, is also the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. A little bit later, we're going to get to chapter 4, uh, verse 20. It says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. He is a counterfeit for the person who does not love his brother. He has seen, cannot love God. He has not seen. Real versus counterfeit. You know, the, Jesus Christ versus the devil. This is what he's talking about. Verse, look at it again. Verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. On the other side, the one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. John was contrasting the two here so that we can better know what is real and better reject what is counterfeit. Sinning, you know, sinning, lying, it, that's the devil's character. It's his, it's his natural state. In his gospel, John wrote, You are of your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature. Because he is a liar, he is a counterfeit and he is the father of liars he is the he is the father of counterfeits there's only two choices here there is no middle ground you're either for god or against god you know they're, they're, christ jesus you know he stands in direct opposition to the devil here jesus stands in truth what we do reveals whose we are you know, it, regardless of who we say we are, or regardless of who we say we belong to, what we do reveals that. Who's your daddy? Christ Jesus or the devil? You know, who, who, who is it? Are you real or counterfeit? Jesus came to give his life on the cross for your sin, to make you a child of God, to transform your life, to give you a real relationship, not counterfeit lip service. Pick up with me, verse 9 and 10. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. You see, those who, are, those who have been born of God have been given new life and therefore don't continue to sin, don't continue living in sin. That would be counterfeit living. Those who are born of God 
Real living, you know, is in and from their new life in Christ, which is not marked by sin. Their life has been transformed, and they're living from their transformed new life. The necessity, the necessity of being born again shows the depth of the destruction of sin. The depth of the destruction of sin is so, so bad and so pervasive that there is a new life that needs to be given. There is a new life that needs to come. This is what he's talking about here. This is what he's talking about when he's talking about, you know, the the being born of God. Nothing less than new life can restore what was lost in sin and restore that relationship with God. This is... This is part of what Paul meant when he wrote to the Galatians and he said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. A real, a real life, a transformed life, a new life. This is what he's talking about. It's not just a remaking of the old. It's a killing of the old and a, re- and a bringing to life of a new life here. So when he says here in verse 9 that they're not able to sin, it means as a chosen lifestyle. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. What it means is as a chosen lifestyle, you do not choose to continue to live in sin. Are we tempted? Yes. Do we sometimes give in to temptation? Yes. Back to chapter 1. That if you sin, you know, you confess your sin to him, he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not saying we never sin. What he's saying is we, we, we don't choose to live, to continue to live in sin. We don't continue to choose to continue to live in a way that is totally contrary to God. You know, the the incompatible nature between God's children, those with a real relationship with God here, and the children of the devil, those who reject God, that incompatibility, you know, leads God's children to reject sin as a lifestyle. It it moves, it brings God's children, you know, to reject counterfeit living and, and to embrace living for and with God as the driving force, to embrace real living. Because they are given a new life, a new nature in Christ. Everyone who is born of God cannot go on, cannot choose and continue to be a deliberate sinner. They cannot choose to be a deliberate sinner. Nothing less than new life can remedy this broken relationship with God and destroy the works of the devil that has a hold on us. How one lives out their life reveals their nature. And if they have a transforming relationship with God, real, or whether they continue to reject God and embrace a lifestyle opposing God, counterfeit. Real or counterfeit. How we live our life shows that. And verse 10 really kind of begins almost, uh, well, another further revelation of that, how we live our life toward others, show who we follow. If we follow God or the devil, we're going to pick up more with that next week. But real or counterfeit, make your stand. Realize where you stand. Stand with God. Stand with Christ. That new, live from that new transformed life 
that comes from a relationship with Christ. Let's pray together. Father, what you have given us is, again, not what we deserve. We deserve, we deserve death for the sin we have committed. And you've given us what we don't deserve, forgiveness and new life in Christ. We need your help to live that out more. We still struggle. We still struggle with temptation. We struggle with our own desires. We struggle with what uh, the values of the world that are constantly thrown up in our face. And Lord, to try to excuse that because of uh, some, what we might see sometimes as the overwhelming way in which that comes at us, that you are so much stronger than the world. You are so much stronger than any sin that comes against us. Oh, don't let us be so foolish as to try to rely on our own strength to try to think we got this and we can handle this. We can't. It's our relationship with you that makes the difference. Help us to live in it. Help us to live from it. That as we go from here today and each day, that we will, we will tomorrow morning again just wake up and remind ourselves that we are a child of God and that we will live as a child of God today. Help us to live that real life of a connection with you. Not to give up and not to give in to the temptations that are thrown at us by the enemy and even from our own desires. But to live and follow you and see you be victorious in our life, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.